This episode contains content that some may find triggering. If you are experiencing thoughts of suicide, call the National Suicide Hotline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. Or dial 211 for help finding mental health resources. You're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association Oklahoma, where we seek out stories of resilience from individuals and experts in the field. I'm Angela Shen. Today, we're talking to business owner Eric R. as he shares his story of recovery. All right. So first of all, thanks so much for coming on. Of course. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Let's just start off with you giving a summary of your life story. Okay. Well, it's a long story. Definitely um, one that was painful and, you know, really started off at at the age of seven, something really traumatic happened to me in my life. And it it just changed the, it changed the path of my life. And and maybe it was supposed to be like that, maybe not, but eventually brought me here to where I'm doing extremely well and helping a lot of people out. At the age of seven, I was sexually molested by my Sunday school teacher. And at at that moment, I obviously that that's going to mess a kid up. And I didn't tell anybody and what, what happened after that is I decided to take things in my own hands. So a week later, I showed up to, to Sunday school. I knew I, I had to keep going, right? And I was too embarrassed to tell anybody. And so I actually tried to poison her, right? I was seven. And I, I decided to take, take matters in my own hands. And she ended up getting extremely sick. And that made me scared. And because I, I was afraid I was going to get in trouble. So I just kept hush and I eventually repressed that memory so deep down. Um, it's something that I actually haven't even brought up much until this year. And so, you know, trauma is something that lasts a long time. And, you know, I, I've dealing from it. It's obviously still dealing with some stuff, but what happened after that is, you know, everything changed. It rewired my brain where I thought I was, became extremely angry as a child, vindictive, you know, really, I'd say that the biggest part for me was I had no trust for authority after that. And so my parents, my mother and father, I, I didn't respect them. I didn't listen to them. I, I really have had a hard time listening to anybody in an authority figure since then. And you can, you see already how that would cause a lot of problems, a lot of issues as a child, disobedience, right? I, I, Grew up in a household, Christian household, but as a disciplinarian household. Father was a prison guard, Folsom prison guard for a long time. Mom was a hairstylist, went to church, right? And, you know, just because of, of how my dad was, was disciplined a lot for my behavior, adding to the trauma, right? And, and at that, you know, at that stage in my life, I, I couldn't really, I, I, I couldn't really tell why I was being punished more and more for what I've been through, but I couldn't tell anybody. And so really it drove me into a state of massive suicidal thoughts at a young age and drug, drug addiction. And at age um, eight, I started taking, you know, household drugs, found my mom's painkillers, started getting into like (laughs) taking four doses of Benadryl, you know, at 10 years old and drinking whole bottles of Robitussin and doing anything I could to numb the pain. And that's really what drug abuse was to me. Right. And what, what it was like, I'll be honest with you. 
drugs saved my life for most of my life because I would have taken my own life if I couldn't mask the pain. Yeah, that's how bad it was. And so that drug addiction carried out till I was about 20, 22 years old, 23, actually 24 years old. And it got worse and worse, you know, got in a lot of fights. So a lot of, a lot of violent thoughts and, you know, I took action on those thoughts and put myself in really bad situations in high school, got expelled, got suspended. And then you got sent away because I was just, I couldn't, they couldn't deal with me. And so I was just, I was a mess, mess, extremely angry, disruptive and, you know, failing school and all that. And when uh, I was 17 years old, I was a senior in high school. What happened is I came back home and I graduated barely. <laughs> I, I did graduate high school, but right after like the summer after graduation, I started getting really deep into cocaine. So I was introduced to it. And then, you know, the way I am, when I try something, I go all in. And so I wasn't just doing it on the weekends. I started selling it. I started distributing it. I started helping manufacture it. Like I, I got deep into it and I started affiliating myself with, you know, the, the Crip gang and selling for them. And then it, eventually my dad found some at, you know, in my backpack at home, kicked me out of the house at 17. So I was homeless at 17 years old and, and looking at your guys' title, incarceration, suicide, homelessness, addiction, like I've dealt with all of them, all of them. And it's kind of like perfect podcast for me, I guess. So I, you know, first night out of the house, basically I got a phone call and that phone call was, you know, son, I found this and you're, you're no longer allowed to be in this home or around anybody in this family. If I ever catch you again, I will take you to jail myself. And that was it. Like I had everything that was on my back and everything that was in my car at the moment was what I had to live with and build my life from. And so at least I had a car to sleep in. Right. But the first night I was out, I called, I called a friend and I was like, Hey man, can I stay at your house? I didn't know where to go. And he's like, yeah, come over. He wasn't really a, he was an acquaintance and I didn't know him well, but I knew that he was welcoming. And so I, I went to his house and stayed on his couch. And then the morning he, you know, I see him with a white baggie, a bag with white powder in it. And I, I was just like, no, I'm done. Right. I quit. Cause it's what just happened. And he's like, you don't want a little bit. I was like, sure. You know what I mean? So I, I, I took it and it wasn't right. Something wasn't right. It didn't seem the same. It feel the same. It tastes the same. And it turns out it was methamphetamine. And I was, I was pissed. Right. I was really mad that he had put me in a situation to where, you know, now I was on one of the worst drugs this world's ever seen. And I, I know that for a fact. And what happened is I actually went over that night and I started smoking it. So from trying it on accident to taking it to the next level, I got to a point where I was taking in, ingesting so much and smoking so much methamphetamine that I was hallucinating. I had drug induced psychosis, uh, signs of schizophrenia. And, you know, I was the guy on the side of the road yelling at cars. You know, you see that guy, <laughs> like, I can laugh at it now, right? That was me. And, you know, I, I surrounded myself with extremely evil people because you get into that world and it, it just brings a, a certain darkness inside of people. And I started hanging out with, you know, people that did extremely evil things, things I would never, ever even think of doing or 
being around, but you know, that's all I had. And so I actually ended up starting to sell and distribute for them as well and got myself, you know, and, and more and deeper in trouble, got myself in situations where I was held at knife point, held at gunpoint, you know, held hostage to, you know, by tweakers and, and just put in, in situations that really they scared the life out of me, but I was addicted and I kept going back and it came to a point where I got uh, pulled over by a cop. Actually, I was, I was on the side of the road and I, I had minors in my car. I just turned 18 and I had a bunch of 17 year olds in the back of the car and I had cocaine. I had methamphetamines. I had like a lot. I had an ounce of marijuana and a, like a few grams of hash and cops pulled up with lights on and I was like oh god like that's it I started stuffing it under the the seats and obviously I went to jail and I was looking at serving 10 years not not just because of drug you know possession but I also had minors in the car and I was gonna get a lot there's like three charges that I was facing I served my time till I got OR which is going to court and they decide, you know, what's next. And they they usually send you home until it's time for your trial. And I made it all the way. I made as far as I could to the trial. They eventually let go of my charges. So thank God for that. At that moment, at that point in my life, I was still using, but I was starting to think, you know, being in jail like that really scared me, really uh, put me in, in a state of mind where I was like, I can't walk down this road. And you know, I was messed up mentally. It's just struggling. And I didn't have anybody in my life that was supportive. And uh, I was like, I'm going to die if I don't get off. And, and what I did is I ended up moving up to Tahoe with, I had $40. I had a car, my car, and I had a box of canned foods and a tarp. And I slept under a tarp for four, four months and I got clean all on my own. And I, what's great. I, I mean, I, I didn't have food. I didn't have a job. I didn't have money. I was killing squirrels with I was using snares for my guitar strings and learning how to survive out in the woods until I was clean enough to go find a job so that I can start building my life. And I did exactly. And, and eventually I met my wife and we got married. We had a kid. I was off the hard stuff, but I was still dabbling in marijuana. I was still dabbling. I wasn't, I was still numbing the pain, right? Until it got to a point where I, st I got on alcohol and then I went down another rabbit hole with that to the point where my son was born. My wife quit drinking and I was still a major alcoholic and just a victim. And I got to a point where they were just sick of it. And my wife and son, they, they picked up and they left and that was it. And I was stuck there alone again in my thoughts. And now deciding I'm going to go back to drugs. I'm going to go back to alcohol. No one, no one's there to hold me accountable. So I just went back. And about four months later, I got to a point where I decided I was going to kill myself. And I got to the point of putting that gun inside of my mouth and putting my finger on the trigger and screaming and sobbing and, and crying and slobbering. And it was at that moment, I realized that like, I didn't want my son to, to be, to call another man, dad. And I didn't want my wife to be loved by another man that was better than me, right? That was the selfishness of me. And, and it, it, it triggered a thought that it was the first time in my life I took responsibility for being where I was. I, 
before I, I had no idea that I was my fault, my doing of getting to that point. I always blamed it on others or the situation or the Sunday school teacher. And it was at that moment in my life, I realized that I, that my prior actions got me to this point in my life. And I, it, that empowered me to, to figure out that if I change my current actions, it'll change the future outcome of my life. And so I started committing, I, I committed at that moment, obviously there was failure, but I, I found, I figured out what I wanted and then I changed my daily habits to take me on that path. I became extremely disciplined over the last four years. And I've also got my, my wife and child back in my life, in my home, proud of me, fully sober off everything, fully disciplined. I mean, I've put on 80 pounds of muscle since then, and I'm happy. It's quite a trip, but it was, you know, it, like I said, it was that moment, that, that self-reflection moment is so important. I believe that that alone teaching self-reflection to society, which isn't really done, can change a whole lot. So I don't think we really can see ourselves most of the time. Yeah, that's such an amazing story. Like, wow. <laughs> Thank you. Obviously, we have a lot of clients who are going through a lot of the same things that you went through. What would be your advice to them? My advice would be to really, really understand the path that you're heading, like look down the future and let it scare you. And this is a fact that that vices, drugs, alcohol, whatever your vice is, if you have vices and you use those to numb some sort of trauma or pain, you're never going to, you're never going to be developed. Like the pain was there, was meant for you to, you know, was there for pain's purpose is change. It's growth and adversity and, and darkness. There's a purpose for it. There's an intention. And when we don't allow ourselves to fully feel what's going on, then we can't become who we're supposed to be. And I, I would say that the, the darker it is for you, the harder it is for you, the bigger the climb it's going to be. If you are to, to, to seek, to stop seeking comfort and pleasure and, and listen to what that pain is telling you, embrace it. And go through this moment where you're going to have to detox and, and change your habits and, you know, feel the pain. And that's going to be a life changer for you. Like the thing that seems like it's going to hurt or suck the most is actually going to be the best thing that ever happened to you. So when you decided to make that change in your life, how hard was it for you to turn your life around? It was, it was very hard. I had hit the rock bottom completely. So I was at the very bottom. And I believe that life will take us that, that far to the point where we can't go any further down. And we, we could do two things. We could either choose to die or we can choose to climb out of that hole. And so at that point, it, it was hard because I could have just said, I'm done and, and, and just been over. I don't know where I'd end up, heaven or hell, but I do know that I wouldn't be able to rebuild a life worth living and get my family back and, and prove that no matter what to you guys, that, that no matter what you go through, like you can come out of it. When you decide to change your life, you need to commit a hundred percent. You, I say no plan B burn the boat. When you get on the Island, there's no way out of it. Don't give yourself a way out. 100% commit, not 95, not 90, not sometimes all the time and everything you got. And you will 
pull out of that. It's easier to commit 100% than it is 95. It is. There's no way out at that point. What were the specific steps you had to take to do that? Did you reach out for services anywhere? Did it just start with getting a job and an apartment? What were the specific steps? Yeah. So one thing about me and my story is that because of the what happened to me as a kid, I had a very hard time trusting authority, like I said, and and I, I couldn't ask for help. I did everything on my own. And, and if I used community, I didn't admit what I was going through. And, and what was crazy is like, I, I had to relearn. I had learned what normal was. I had no, I didn't know what normal was because at the age of seven till then I was just in a whole nother world. And so I was like, I have to figure out what, how normal people cope, how normal people, you know, learn and respond and react. And so I put myself and community through church and, um, you know, into a men's group. And I just like sat there and studied them for weeks. And then I eventually moved in with one of the, with the leader of the men's group, because I was like, I, I needed accountability. I needed to get separate myself from my place where I was alone every night. So I could stop drinking it. Moved in with him and his family, which was a blessing because I couldn't bring alcohol in there. And so I, I, that was the first time I was really sober. And so I basically lived there until I had restored relationship with my wife and she moved to California and we started rebuilding and me and my son, he's four now. And until she was ready, you know, and then I moved to California and we've been together ever since. And, you know, I was an electrician at the time, so I had a job, but, you know, and then I moved out here and I did the same thing and then COVID happened. And that's when I started my business out of just curiosity. And I, I killed it, honestly, six figure business in six years. And I've helped over about 225 people in the last two years, you know, with fitness, nutrition and mindset. That's great. How did you decide to focus? on? Well, that? I needed a, a way to, to replace what I was going through. And I've always had a past of fitness, non-nutrition. I didn't eat much. Right. I, I always had a past, but there was moments in my childhood where I was, I believed I was mistreated. I was, I was kind of ridiculed and bullied a lot by my, by my family because I was different and they didn't know what was going on with me. They had no idea. They actually just found out recently and they're like, wow, it makes a lot of sense. But I was kind of bullied and I didn't know how to handle it. And so I would get extremely angry <clears throat> and then I'd be disciplined for reacting to what they were saying to me. The only thing that would ever help me get, you know, take the, take the anger away and calm down was fitness. I fill my backpack full of rocks and I run up a hill or I do as many pull-ups as I could until like I couldn't breathe, right? Burpees or whatever I could. It, it was the only thing in my life that actually took away the pain without destroying me. And so I, you know, I lost touch with it sometimes along the path, but I've always had it within me. And I believe now, like, the reason why I found that is to do this today, you know, like it all came together <clears throat> and I just use it as a tool. I use it as a tool. It's great. What do you wish you could tell yourself back then? Or what do you wish you had known back then? You are good enough and you're, you're great, you know? And I think that's our purpose in life is to, is to remember what you needed most as a child in your darkest times and become that become the person you needed most. 
because I, I needed someone to tell me like, you're, you're good. Like you don't, you didn't deserve that. Like you're okay. Like we accept you, we appreciate you. And I think that's really a key component is a child not feeling accepted or appreciated is traumatic and can change their whole outcome of their, you know, their life. So just being, being who I needed to be, who I needed in my life. Would you say it's still difficult to maintain what you have now, or is it way better now that you're on the other, the other side of the hardship? For, I mean, if you look at the the process of what I do every day in the, in anybody else's eye, they'd be like, that's crazy. Right. But for me, it's, I've made it my identity and who I am. And so it's, I, it's just who I am and what it's not what I do. And so for me, it's easy to sustain this seven meals a day, 4.30 a.m. wake up. So I hit cardio. I read the Bible. I pray. I reflect. I write. I do my content for, for my followers so that they're being held accountable and being supportive. You know, I coach. I run my business. I work out, go to the gym at night go to sleep and start all over again. Like I don't leave any room. Every second is accounted for. I'm very disciplined. I'm one of the most disciplined people I've ever met in my life. And that's where I, you know, we go back to that full commitment. It's easy for me because I know that if I slip, I take one step or I skip a step, then I have a chance of going back. And I don't ever want that. Like I I will, I, I know that. And so that's my accountability. Truthfully, if you are in a place where you feel you have nothing, if you can be grateful, you know, for your breath alone, then you're, you can overcome anything. You, you're unstoppable. And that's something I learned. And I've lost everything three times. And I mean everything. And so I've been in those situations where you're like, you have nothing. It's almost like the most freeing, freeing thing I ever felt, which is weird, but you know, it was a struggle then, but basically what I'm doing now is I'm trying to build a character so strong that if I, for any reason, were to lose everything again, that I want it, it wouldn't change my values. It wouldn't change my morals. It wouldn't change my standards. And I would just be grateful to be alive. So, so that, that key component right there is, is huge is waking up and being grateful that you earned another day. Like you're there, you're up, you're breathing. That's a win. Yeah, well, you've done an amazing job, and I think your story is so inspiring. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Angela. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Mental Health Download. I'm Angela Shen with Mental Health Association Oklahoma.